name is Elon Hymoff, and I'm a partner and a department head of the Profit Participation Group at GHJ. Welcome to our latest Media Clips podcast with Dr. Jeffrey Cole, who we invited annually to share the latest trends and predictions in the film and television industry. This is our fifth time, perhaps even sixth, but I think at least a fifth time. Welcome, Jeff. Elon, nice to be here. It's hard to believe it's been a year, but uh, let's go. Jeff has been at the forefront of media and communication technology issues and challenges both in the United States and around the world for many, many years. And he is an expert in the field of technology and emerging media. Jeff serves as serves as the advisor to governments and leading companies here in the United States and around the world. And I always love to just to share a quote. In June 1999, Vice President Al Gore praised Jeff as a true visionary providing the public with information on how to understand the impact of media. It's quite impressive. So again, welcome, Jeff, and then let's get to it. Um, let's get to it. So my, my, my first question obviously has to do with streaming, which is a conversation I think we've had now a couple of times. Uh, with streaming, growth begins to cool, in fact, is cooling. How do you see this area changing in the foreseeable future, say in the next couple of years, in terms of consolidation, perhaps consumer reaction to advertising supported VOD, and the possibility of aggregating some of these services into something that we used to call cable, because people are beginning to get lost with the fees. And I wonder if there's going to be some some sense of aggregation around that. Well, we see massive change coming in streaming. I mean, we went into the pandemic, movie theaters were closed, streaming use, we created two stream out we, but two streamers were created just before COVID, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. Streaming use went up 74%. We finally had enough time to watch all that content that we've been frustrated we haven't been able to watch. Streaming just sailed through the pandemic uh, and it looked like it was the answer to all the problems. Disney had its movie theaters closed, its retail stores closed, its theme parks closed, its uh, cruise ships dry docked, reorganized the entire company around streaming. Uh, Peacock came out and tried to do the same for Universal and HBO Max for Warner. It looked like streaming was really the center of the entertainment universe. And then the pandemic ended and we've learned in the last year that streaming does not cure cancer or lead to world peace. This isn't really a surprise that we're seeing such a change. Netflix had the greatest gig imaginable from the time they gave up the red envelope business until the pandemic, the exception of Hulu, an important exception, they had access to everyone's content. The consumer could watch every studio's content for 12 bucks a month. Well, that couldn't last. Once the other studios figured out that Netflix, even though they wrote the big checks for their content, wasn't really their friend, but they were creating a monster with the biggest competitor and stopped selling. Now to replicate what you got with Netflix before COVID, it's $50, $60 a month. People don't wanna spend that. 
we're seeing uh, the streamers now having to look for revenue, knowing they can't raise prices. Why there's going to there's advertising now on every one of them, with the exception of Apple TV Plus. Netflix is about to crack down on passwords. They're going to make all of our lives miserable for the next year, as if we try to leave the home and go to a hotel room or watch somewhere else, we're going to have to call. They're going to make us all mad, but we'll get past that. They'll collect revenue. So streaming is changing. There has to be consolidation. There's too many of them. We've always felt that people will pay for two and a half of the streamers. I thought that five years ago, I still think that's about right. We expect to see a lot of consolidation. And another issue with streaming is now with these different channels and every one of them with exception of Apple, and they'll probably join later, has advertising, which may also mean changes in content. They may shy away from other content, not to offend advertisers. All of a sudden, streaming looks a lot like cable. And cable is shrinking. So massive change. They never could have had a better two years, the streamers, than they had during COVID. Reality has sunk in. Change is coming. The best is to be determined as to who will survive and, and who is going to have to be consolidated into into another service. Well, uh, of but, the two and a half, I've yeah. always felt, and it could change, I've always felt that it's going to be between Netflix, Disney Plus, and HBO Max, which isn't going to be HBO Max a whole lot longer, I think a mistake. Uh, Paramount's been stronger than we expected. Peacock's been weaker than we expected. But still, I think those are probably the three that are going to really slug it out. So, so this is a good segue to to a more specific question. So, we, we, Hulu has been in the news. Hulu is a U.S. only, I believe, service. So, there's At no the service moment, I don't yes. believe outside the United States. It, it does now become a part of an overall um, package that you can get between Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN. So, there's there's it is part of the Disney offering um, in terms of streaming, but there's also talk about the future of Hulu is it is it going to be a part of Disney in the long run, or perhaps could it go the other direction and be a part of Comcast? And and those and those are things that I'm not saying. Those are things that a lot of analysts are yeah. talking about. Um, the question of cash flow that's available for Disney to acquire the one third they don't own. There's a lot of conversation around what will happen with Hulu, and and I just without. Obviously, uh, anything more than just your speculation and your your thoughts. What happens with that incredible brand name called Hulu? Where does it go? It's a really good question. Well, for sometimes people call me a futurist, which I sort of rebel against because futurists tell you what's going to happen 30 years in the future. And when the time rolls around, half of the people who heard it are dead and the other half can't remember. So I'm going to talk about the next 12 months. So I'm sticking my neck out. Hulu was created by three to four studios. It changed as a joint effort. My friends who worked at Hulu loved that, loved that there was no major boss, that there were a number of bosses. It was like having mom and dad. And if mom didn't go, let you do what you wanted, you went and asked dad. They loved that common structure. 
Then all of a sudden, Rupert Murdoch decides to sell Fox to Disney and they pick up Fox's ownership of Hulu. AT&T had bought Time Warner, was heavily in debt, didn't want the 10% that Time Warner had. And all of a sudden, Disney owned about two thirds of Hulu. Comcast didn't want to be a minority, so they made a deal several years ago, a really interesting deal, that gave Disney control of Hulu, that third that Comcast had, but decided they wouldn't set the price until 2024 with a minimum valuation of $27.5 billion. So Disney is obligated to pay at least nine point something billion dollars for Hulu unless they decide to sell it to somebody else. So that's where we stand. Disney wanted Hulu. They saw it as a place to put their more sophisticated, a non-family content, but they started doing that on Disney with uh, disclaimers and warnings. My opinion, Disney doesn't want Hulu. They will happily get rid of it, doesn't want to spend $9 billion. I think they feel they can do everything they want to do with Disney+. Plus. They won't say that publicly. I think they're looking to get out of that deal. The easiest way is to let Comcast take over the whole thing. But keep in mind, Brian Roberts is the guy who looked at the deal between Rupert Murdoch and Bob Iger, or between Fox and Disney for $51 billion, and decided he wanted to get into it. And it still was a Fox-Disney deal, but because of uh, Brian Roberts, they had to pay $71 billion. Uh, drove it up up $20 billion, made the Murdoch kids very well, much wealthier. Um, so I think uh, if, if they want Comcast to take it, I think they're going to have to really make a, a good deal for Comcast, or they could just put it out of the market. Bottom line, I don't think Disney's going to end up with Comcast, with the Hulu long term. Just, just to react to what you just said, I mean, to me, you mentioned earlier, Peacock hasn't been uh, as successful as the other services. Maybe Hulu can bringing Hulu and, and Peacock together would work really well. Right, right. Exactly right. Yeah, that's a, that would that's be one idea. of the reasons. But Brian Roberts is not going to act as if he wants it. He's going to act <laughs> as well. I'll take it off your hands, but make it worth my while. Thank you, Jeff. So we're going to switch gears to the strike. Uh, the writers appear to head toward a strike within probably several weeks. And what I'm really just looking for you, if you can, just to share your thoughts as to the impact of that strike and how long could this be going on in this marketplace right now? Well, today the writers authorized the strike. They had to authorize the strike. If they hadn't given the guild the authority to strike, they would have completely weakened their position. So there's no surprise. Uh, also, the writers and the actors generally are more prone to strike than the other guilds for a whole bunch of reasons. And every 10 to 15 years, we have a major issue, almost always comes from technology. 
because since the last agreement was made, some new technology has arisen that's changed the playing field and advantaged some and disadvantaged the other. The best example we saw of how that has changed was when Scarlett Johansson sued Disney. She had a deal to make Black Widow and her profit was almost completely dependent on how well it did in the theater. For pandemic reasons, that film didn't have much of a theatrical presence. It was there, but most of the revenue was collected through streaming. But that's just an example of how the dynamics have changed. So streaming, although, as we talked about earlier, is not going to replace movie theaters and is having now a reality check, it's still a significant source of production. And uh, at the moment, it's the streamers that have most benefited from that. And the guilds have not fully participated because streaming, think about when the last agreement was reached in what, 2008 or so, Netflix was still in the red envelope business. So I, a strike authorization was predictable. I think it's better than 50-50, there will be a strike. My instincts, but I don't have inside knowledge here, my instincts are this is not going to be one of the longer strikes or one of the longest. Uh, but the net effect is going to be, of course, the big problem with strikes is not just that production stops for the week or the three months, hopefully closer to a week, but that it begins to stop before projects are deferred, people don't want to start and then be interrupted. It has a colossal impact on the industry. And at the movie level, we're still, even at the streamer level, we'll still have a bit of a supply chain issue from COVID where not enough got made and it's backed up, it's starting to even out. This will only add to the problem, but uh, I'd say it's better than 50-50. It's a strike. And as I said, I think a, a shorter than colossal strike. But going deep, going deeper into the underlying um, issue for the writers and maybe other other guilds, and not not, not just the writers guild. The deep issue here is, I believe, it has to do with the equity, uh, whereby streaming services have a larger share, at least the perception of the writers. There's a larger share of the success of their programs, while the writers and maybe other groups uh, are not getting a fair share of the success of streaming and, and the programming through streaming. And and the, the question that, and you don't have to get into this uh, in an area that is something more to do with my, my world as opposed to your world of profit sharing, but companies like Artists' Equity uh, have emerged to try and bring that equity. And there may be others, there may be perhaps other pressures out there from uh, the agencies and maybe studios looking at streaming services and saying, we've got to find a better equitable formula to try and get both sides to enjoy the benefit of the success of programming. But I want to get your thoughts about the equity. Yeah, well, well first, I would argue that the writers have a lot of merit in what has been an inequity. In the streaming world, we're talking, I mean, there are, of course, essentially motion pictures and streaming, but the majority of this is comparable to television series. 
the the television world was pretty well defined as to what writers got paid per episode. All of that has sort of changed in streaming where they're ordering not just smaller orders, that's happening across the board, but they're paying them different. They're treating them more like migrant workers rather than staff members. It's really, the writers have a lot to complain because a lot of what really formed their income 15 years ago has changed. I would, that's why I think there's better than a 50% chance. Of course, Netflix came along and decided it didn't want any back end, so tried to pay people more. Generally, that was stars more than writers or other, but they did. Then I don't know if that's going to last. What Ben Affleck uh, did or what's been done on Air, the Air Jordan stories, a really interesting model. It may take high profile talent who want to be viewed, and I think they are, as more socially minded to move it through. But these are the issues that I think after the strike are not going to rely on people's goodwill. I think this is going to be written into the contracts. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Let me close with one last question that uh, is, is becoming the conversation, uh, it, it seems like everywhere, uh, around AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, and the question that I wanted to ask you is from your from your purview, uh, from from your vantage point, should those the talent creatives, you know, that will be the people that produce, the people that direct, uh, the people that act, everybody that's involved in the production within the entertainment community, should they fear? Should they embrace? How should they feel about artificial intelligence so you as save we the look easy to the future? For, you save the easy one for last. You know, we don't even just have to limit it to creatives. We can talk about the world. Should we fear it or embrace it? Elon Musk, who I greatly respected, at least until recently, said that AI is a greater threat to humankind than nuclear war. Uh, you know, this is, AI is something that's been talked about for 60 years. It was HAL the computer in 2001. It was Skynet in the Terminator movies. Uh, and people, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, people started saying artificial intelligence has a great potential and it always will. Well, those days are over. It's here. I think it is extraordinarily exciting and unbelievably scary. To the specifics of your question, sadly, I really like to be an optimist. But I think with within creatives in the entertainment industry, I think they have more to fear than to gain. They don't need the help creatively to, to make things. And we now have technology that can write scripts, write stories, put things together. I think there's an awful lot to fear. But teachers have as much to fear. People in you know jobs, you know, we always thought it was going to be that. The drivers of taxis or buses or cars, or it was going to be clerks or checkers in supermarkets. We now know that it's doctors. AI can read x-rays much better than human beings. It's lawyers. We're we're looking at colossal shifting of society. And um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough road. Well, how do we end on a good note? So I think that uh, there is no question that when we spoke last, uh, the the film industry, the theater business has 
shown that it will survive into the future. I think that may be the place I wanted to close with. That's that's it, a, oh sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just want to get I want to get your perspective. Where does the film business, the actual theater exhibition business, going in the future? Well, that's a that's a happy story. This year, I'm doing the opening keynote at CinemaCon, the big uh, movie theaters meet studios uh, conference. And my message is a is a really positive one. Not because you know I've stood in front of the music industry and said you're screwed. I stood in front of newspapers and said, you're screwed. If I thought they were screwed, I would say it. I probably wouldn't use that word. The message is a really upbeat. If movie theaters were ever going to disappear, it was when all of them were closed. Uh, one of the chains declared bankruptcy. Even our grandmothers learned how to stream. And we got out of the habit of going to the movies. Well, they didn't disappear. Tom Cruise led the revival with Top Gun. We've now seen $3 billion movies. Well, I wasn't sure if there could be a billion dollar movie without a theater. Now we know there can't. We've had three post-COVID with Top Gun, Spider-Man Far From Home, and uh, Avatar. And we may be looking at the fourth, I can't figure it out, with Super Mario Brothers. Movies are majestic. Movies are special. If you look at Netflix, and we can end here, if you look at Netflix, they made Glass Onion, Knives Out, for Netflix. But they released it a week earlier in the theater. They made $15 million, but they didn't even care. They weren't looking to make money. What they wanted was the status of the movie theater so they could say to Netflix subscribers, see, subscribe to Netflix and you're getting movies that were in the theater a couple of days ago because being in the theater conveys status. Movie theaters are back. They still have issues they have to deal with. Everybody's not comfortable going back. COVID's gonna have to cooperate. It uh, looks like it may be slowly. There's problems with shopping malls closing where most theaters are. There's all kinds of issues, but they've always had issues, but they're back and people like seeing movies in the theater. Well said, Jeff. That's a way to end our, our podcast recording today. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thanks everybody for joining and listening. See you next year.